0: Welcome to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Behold Israel provides biblical teachings through its tours, speaking events, and social media. It's also a reliable and accurate source for developments in Israel and the region. Amir's live updates and teachings are based on God's written word. Connect with Behold Israel on Telegram, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Download our free app, available on Android and Apple, under Behold Israel. This is definitely one of the most fascinating places on planet Earth. It holds also this amazing title of the lowest spot on the surface of planet Earth. And also, it's the third saltiest lake in the world, 33% salt in these waters. You can clearly see the formation of salt all around me. And that may explain to you why in Hebrew we call it the Sea of Salt, Yam HaMelach. It's interesting that the Arabs call it Bahar al-Mayt, the Sea of Death. And in English we got the Dead Sea. Probably the only place that is close to death without having to die is the Dead Sea. And The reason why I want to start the message with it is because Adam and Eve were created never to die. Death was not God's plan for man. This place used to be one of the nicest and the lushest and the greenest areas in the entire country. I'll take you all the way back to the book of Genesis in chapter 13. This is where Abraham and Lot realized that they cannot really be together. On the way back from Egypt, it was evident that Lot and Abraham must separate. And Abraham, being such a gentleman, said to Lot, you know, take whatever you feel like. If you take the left, I'll take the right. If you take the right, I'll take the left. And Lot chose... This particular place, and the Bible says in uh, the book of uh, Genesis, chapter 13, verses 10, 11, and 12, it says, And Lot lifted his eyes, and he saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan. And Lot journeyed east. This is where we are. We are east. This is the easternmost boundary of the country. And so we can clearly see that uh, this particular place is a place of choice of Lot. It wasn't a place of uh, refuge. No, it's a place of choice. And we can clearly see from the Scriptures that they're separated from each other. And Abraham went up to the Negev up to the west to another desert area why Lot chose this beautiful place. And the Bible makes it very clear. We are in the region of Sodom and Gomorrah. But the Bible says, before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, it was beautiful, it was lush, and it was green. And we all know what happened. We all know that in chapter 19, we already have a different story right here. It says, The Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, and from the Lord out of the heavens. So He overthrew those cities, all the plain, this is the plain where we are, all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. And here we are left with very, very little vegetation here. Everything was destroyed, everything was burned, everything became desolate, everything died. This is why this place is attached to death. If we really go all the way back to Genesis, we can understand that in the beginning, God created man in his own image. God is eternal, God cannot die, and so they were created in His image. They were not meant to die, they were eternal as they were created. Death was not God's plan for man. It has to be very, very clear, death was actually something God warned us of. He says, don't do the one thing that can lead you to death. In Genesis 2, 16 to 17, the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you to even be exposed to evil. You don't need to know what evil is. You don't need to be part of it. Don't go there. You shall not eat, because for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God says, like a good father, he says, don't. Touch it, because if you touch it, you'll die. So did God want man to die? Of course not. He actually told him, look, death can only come if you will disobey and rebel and do that which I tell you not to do. That's all. Just obey me. You'll be good. (laughs) And death was Satan's plan for man. In chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, And the serpent said to the women, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He said, don't worry, you're not going to die. But if you if you eat from it, you will be like God. And what is definition of God? You will know good from evil. You see, God knows good and evil. And the reason God did not want Adam and Eve to even go there, so they will not be afflicted by it. They will not be contaminated by it. It's not like he doesn't want people to have knowledge. He doesn't want people to have the knowledge of evil. And that is exactly what the problem is. In Genesis 3:19, what happened because they ate from it, that's when death entered the world. This is where... That which God said, it is very good. Now he says to men, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, and for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. How sad, how sad that death entered the world. And by the way, we're only in chapter 3 and it's getting worse and worse and worse and that's why in Romans 6:23 says the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our lord in other words there is a way to get that eternal life that was originally promised even Proverbs chapter 10 verse 16 says the labor of the righteous leads to life the wages of the wicked to sin you see sin brought shame and excuses you can clearly see In Genesis 3, 8-10, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They were ashamed. They hid themselves among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You see, fear, shame, guilt, It's all because now he knows the things he should have not known. And sin brought deception and lie because in the next chapter, chapter 4, now Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. The first murder in the history of our world. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He lied. Deception and lie comes directly after that, hiding the truth. What have you done? the Lord said to him. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's bloom from your hand. And when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on this earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. And look what he said, I shall be hidden from your face. Wow! And look, that is the saddest verse in that chapter. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. You see, that's the real death. The real death is that spiritual death, the separation from God. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. So we move on in our journey in Genesis to chapter 5. And look what it says here. This is astonishing. We see the genealogy of Adam. He says, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. God says, look, when I created you, you were in my image. He created them male and female. When I created you, you were male and female. He says, and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. He says, this is what mankind is all about. And then Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness. Adam begot a son in his own likeness. That's it. Adam and Eve were in the likeness of God, were in the image of God. But something was broken, sin has entered, something was defiled, something was diminished, something was completely wrong. And now from that moment on, Mankind will not be in the image of God anymore they cannot there is sin there is there is something that separates us from the holiness and the sanctity of the Lord and so Seth is in the likeness and the image of Adam. And then comes the saddest chapter in the whole Bible. In fact, this particular portion that I'm about to read breaks my heart every time I read. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God says, it's not just what they do, it's what they think. Is everything that runs through their minds that it's just evil continually? They want to steal, they want to murder, they want to rape, they want to. There's so much depravity, man's even in his mind before even executing it. He says, and it's not stopping at one point, it was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. I'm thinking about. You get to chapter 6 and you understand, it only gotten worse and worse and worse to the point that God says, I am sorry I created man. And look, look at this, and he was grieved in his heart. Man was the crown jewel of creation. And the fall of man caused God to grieve. And so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. And you would think that this is it. Let's close it. That's it. That's the end of the Bible. But interestingly enough, verse 8 of chapter 6 says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God is always searching. I mean, is there anyone that's doing good? I want an excuse to keep you here. But Noah... Found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Ecclesiastes, Chapter Three, Verses One and Two. To everything there is a season. A time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. So God is basically saying, death is a set thing that has to happen. If death was not originally planned, now death is part of our life. You cannot escape it. You cannot run away from it. Death awaits. Around the corner for every person that exists and ever existed since the time of Adam. One of the most admired Secretary Generals of the United Nations in the 1950s was Doug Hammerskold. He was a Swedish man, Bible believer, and a very smart person. There's so many quotes that you can find from him. Listen to what he said. In the last analysis, it is our conception of death which decides our answers to all the questions that life puts to us. conception of death determines our life, basically. Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verses 1 and 2 says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. It is the end of all men. You can try to escape it, it won't help you. It is the end of all men. Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 11, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He had put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Eternity is in our heart, which means man knows inside that He's eternal, in the sense of there is something after death. Otherwise, why would be so afraid if there is nothing? But if you know there is something, then you ask yourself, what is it? Ecclesiastes 12:7. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. In other words, we already know there is a separation. The body that is going to be buried is a different thing than the soul that cannot be buried because it cannot be destroyed and it cannot die. You see, our souls are eternal. And the question is, location, location, location. Where will the location of your soul be? Even Daniel himself knew that the body and the soul are separated upon death. The Bible says that the angel told Daniel, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. There is a resurrection. The question is, which resurrection do you want to be taking part of? Look at the terminology that we have in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, every person who died, no matter how righteous or how evil he was, he had to go down. Take a look at these verses, Genesis 37. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist when he heard about Joseph and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. The direction was clear, down. Numbers 16, so they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. In the Old Testament time, all souls went down to a place called in the Hebrew Sheol. It's a very interesting thing. Psalm 49 says, for the redemption of their soul is costly. And it shall cease forever that he should continue to live eternally and not see the sheol, the pit. So, what do we know about this sheol before the time of Jesus? Well, take a look at what 1 Samuel says. Saul, and this is a story that makes us understand that when somebody dies, he is still alive with his soul. Watch this, Saul knows that he's about to go to battle the Philistines on Mount Gilboa. Saul is afraid of what the outcome is going to be. Saul misses his prophet Samuel, who was already dead. So he disguised himself and put on other clothes. And he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, please conduct a science for me. Sorcery and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. And then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? She thought it's someone. She didn't know it's Saul himself. And as long as Samuel was alive, Samuel did not allow those things to happen. So Saul, as a king, forbid all of these things. And now she's confused. She thinks, wait a minute, this is like a trap. And then the Bible says, And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. And then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up to you? Whom shall I bring up? Who is down there that you want to see? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, And what is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is covered with his mantle. She saw Samuel, she saw him being old, she saw him with his mantle of the prophet. You could not get things wrong. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Disturb me! Samuel was resting in that resting place in Sheol, and Saul was disturbing him. And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me. And God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. And look what Samuel says. then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek, Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me." In other words, you're going to die. I'm dead. Tomorrow, you will join me. And the Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. And immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. What we see is that Samuel, it was Samuel. (laughs) He was the prophet. And he was angry. Samuel was angry. Samuel, as a dead person, was in a place where he rested. Saul disturbed his rest. And we can see that there are emotions and feelings, even down there in Sheol. In Luke chapter 16, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the richest man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angel to Abraham's bosom." The first time we hear the term, Abraham's bosom, chek Avraham. We understand in that sheor, there's a place where Abraham is also. Abraham is the father of faith. That's why it's named after him. In other words, somebody with faith will end up there. And it's not where that rich man is going to end up. The rich man also died and he was buried. And being in the torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. In other words, in Sheol, which is the general place where the dead people go, we clearly see that there are two places. There is the Abraham's bosom for those who had faith, and there is a place of torment. Then he cried. He cried, that rich man cried. He says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip for his finger in water and cool my tongue. In other words, just send Lazarus to serve me and 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 give me some water for I am tormented in this flame but Abraham said son remember that it is in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things but now he is comforted and you are tormented and besides all this between us and you there is a great gulf chasm existed it's fixed right there and that Those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there to pass to us. In other words, this is amazing. There is a place where every person who died goes to, a place of torments. It's not where you want to be and a place where you probably would want to be if you lived in those days, a place of of being in the arms and the bosom of Abraham, the father of faith. In other words, everything we do in this life right now will determine where we are when we die. And you cannot fix things and change things then. Wow. So in the Old Testament time, all people went down to Sheol. There was no other option. It was only to go down to Sheol and the question was, where in Sheol? in Abraham's bosom or in the place of torments. Sheol was not outside of God's control. Let me make it very clear. God is not only the God of the living, and it's not only above the ground or in the heavens. Psalm 139 verse 8 says, If I ascend into heaven, David says, you are there. If I make my bed in hell in Sheol, behold, you are there. God is everywhere. Now we have to also remember that apart from humans, there are other created beings that serve the Lord and also fell in sin. And for them, there are two other places down there in Sheol. There is the abyss, which comes from the Greek word Abusos, and in the Hebrew, Tehom, and it's a bottomless pit. And the angel of that place is called Abaddon, which is in the Greek, Apollyon, destruction. And this is where also the Antichrist will be thrown into. And this is where demons will emerge from during the tribulation. So Abaddon, that abyss in the area down there is where there is action. They can go down, they can come up. It's a dark place for fallen creatures which are not humans, we remember in Luke 8, Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? When he healed the demon-possessed men on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he said, Legion, because many demons are entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. That's the place where they came out of and they didn't want to go back to. But then there is another word that appears only in uh, in the New Testament in 2 Peter chapter 2. And that term is called Tartarus. It's a very very demonic term, Tartarus, unlike the abyss, is a place only for rebellious angels of Genesis chapter 6. Those who rebelled And they are chained and tortured until Judgment Day comes. They don't go up, they don't come down, they are chained there. And 2 Peter says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to Tartarus, in the Greek. That's a different name in hell. That's a different name from, from the abyss, and it's a different name from Abraham's bosom or the place of torments. And he delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. So we understand up until the time of Jesus, throughout the Old Testament, there is absolutely no way for anyone to stand in the holy presence of God when he dies. They all go down. Some go to Abraham's bosom. Others go to the place of torments. We've got the place of uh, abyss for demons, and it's going to be also for the Antichrist at the end. And there is also Tartarus, which is where the angels of Genesis 6 are chained until that day is coming. What happened when Jesus died and then resurrected? This is where the game is changing. In Luke 23, verse 43, Jesus says to him, Surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is telling the thief that was crucified next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, a lot of people are mistakenly thinking that paradise means heaven. They mistakenly thinking Jesus went up to heaven and he took with him that man who just believed in him a second ago. But did you know that paradise comes from the Hebrew word, pardes? It has nothing to do with heaven. It has a lot to do with a garden here on earth. If Jesus was not ascending, but actually he went down, then obviously paradise isn't in heaven. And the only place one can resurrect from is Abraham's bosom. So this is where Jesus went to. And he took that good thief with him. Matthew twelve forty says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus did not go up to heaven when he was crucified. The minute he died, guess what? Where did everybody go in the Old Testament? Paradise, which is another name, Pardes, for Abraham's bosom. Psalm 16 says, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. That's a Messianic Psalm. He was only there for one reason. What did He do there for those three days? He fulfilled the promise given to Eve in the garden about the victory of the Messiah, if you remember that. And that's why 1 Peter 3 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, and just for the unjust. And He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. But He was made alive by the Spirit, by whom also He went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient." (laughs) Those fallen angels that were down there, who were already witnesses to what happened in the Garden of Eden when Satan, Deceived Eve, remember the first prophecy that was ever given in Genesis 3, it's verse 16. That eventually, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. And now they see the fulfillment of it. And what happened when Jesus resurrected? Ephesians chapter 4 verses 8 to 10 says, Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led. Captivity, captive, and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. And he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Every person that was there in Abraham's bosom, every man of faith at the resurrection of the Lord, was also freed to go to the Holy Presence of God. Why? Because the price has been paid. Sin is not just covered until next year, the problem of sin has been solved. And now the people of faith, through that shed blood, have that justification to be able to stand before the Holy God. And therefore, no more after the resurrection of Jesus is there any Abraham's bosom anymore. And we can clearly say that to be absent from the body is to already be present with the Lord. Remember the word of Stephen upon his martyrdom. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the glory. When Jesus resurrected, the believers no longer need to look down, but they need to look up. Because where you go is no longer downwards, but it's upwards. And Stephen could look up and he could see that which is going on there. This is the life that we have to make a difference regarding our eternity. Where is your direction? Downwards or upwards? Where is your faith in the finished work of the one who died for us and finished all that is needed and required for the sins that we have committed? Or is it that we trust in ourselves, in our money, in our wisdom, in our wealth, or in our health, which can lead us nowhere? Your life now determines the direction you go at the very end, upwards or downwards. That's the question that we need to ask ourselves, can the dead become alive? And this is where where we stand right here. Look at this Dead Sea. This Dead Sea, the Bible says, is going to come back to life. Ezekiel 47 verses 8 to 12, Then he said to me, This water flows towards the eastern region, goes down into the valley and enter the sea. And when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed." Look, 33% salt, nothing can grow here, nothing, not a single fish can be found here. But look what he says, when it reaches the sea, that river of life that will come out of Jerusalem, the waters are healed and it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the river go will live. And there will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there, for they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. It shall be that fishermen will stand by it from Engedi to Englime, an and they will be places for spreading their nets. Their fish will be of the same kinds as the fish of the Mediterranean. Look, Not long ago, a group of Christians came to the local municipality here asking to buy fishing permits. And the people here almost laughed, obviously not to their face. They said, guys, you know, there's nothing that can grow here. And those Christians said, but it's your Bible that says it will. It is in your Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, who is your prophet, that promises that the day comes and the river of life will flow out of Jerusalem, heal the waters of the Dead Sea and give life to it. Life out of death, the dead can come back to life. And the only thing that is required is the river of life. And why am I saying that? Because the Dead Sea will be made alive by that river of life. And you can be made alive as well by faith in the one from whom living water comes. The dead can see. The dead can feel. The dead can understand. But it's too late when you're dead. Because then you can only see and feel and understand, but you cannot change anything. So while you're still alive, believe in Him and allow that rivers of living water come out of you that will completely change you. And just as the Dead Sea is going to become a living lake with living creatures in it, your heart can be made from stone into flesh, your soul can be revived, your life can change, and you can have eternal life if you trust in Him in Yeshua, our salvation. And as he said, if you only believe in me, from your bellies, rivers of living water will flow. Thanks for listening to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Connect with Behold Israel on Telegram, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram download our free app available in Android and Apple under Behold Israel. Amir's teachings can be found in multiple languages. You can also visit our website, beholdisrael.org.